My name is Rachel Peru and I'm a 50-year-old grey-haired curve model and I'm going to be your host for the Out of the Bubble podcast. I started a new career age 46 modelling and on social media I found so many women, inspiring and amazing women over 40 who were really embracing their midlife and helping to break down the stereotypical barriers. I really wanted to share these stories with you, so let's celebrate and firmly place a spotlight on women over 40. My weekly reminder that you are not invisible and it's never too late to try something new. So welcome back to another episode of Out of the Bubble podcast. My name is Rachel Peru and today's episode comes with a trigger warning. We are going to be talking and covering some really sensitive subjects, including child abuse, a lifetime of abuse and sexual abuse. And if this is something that's going to really trigger you, then please make sure that you are in a safe environment and you listen to it in your own time. Uh, But it does come with a trigger warning. Today we are joined by Claire Louise Chamberlain and Claire is somebody that I've recently come across and her story is such an inspiring, you know, she has a overcome so much and when she finally did manage to get through the trauma when she did seek help there wasn't help available so she has created her own system of healing and she's now sharing it with so many others and her, her story is so powerful and she's got so much to offer other people and trauma victims and she is doing some incredible work to help other survivors so I'm really honoured to have Claire share her story with me today. So good morning Claire lovely to see you this morning. Good morning Rachel how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Friday, glad it's nearly the weekend. Oh, I know, it's half term for us next week as well, so some uh, well-deserved time off with the small people to do some quality time. Good, sounds like a plan. I mean, we, you and I have met kind of fairly recently, really, through social, through social media again, and I love these connections that we've made. And I think, you know, your story and, and your personality and what the work you're doing now has really kind of, I've been really drawn to you, and I think you're so inspiring and you've got so much to, to help other people with. But it's hard to know where to start. So for people that might not know anything about you, what's your kind of, how do you introduce yourself to people? Well, um, I'll just say, first of all, it's funny you say that because you're, you've got such a positive energy that I also was drawn to in a second. And it's almost like, that's what, I think that's why we decided to personally speak on this level immediately as soon as yeah. we sort of connected. But so I introduced myself as, as Claire. I'm a, I'm a survivor of um, childhood trauma and abuse and subsequently domestic abuse. And the reason I say subsequently is because the two are very much intertwined. There are lots of cause and effect um, aspect to that and what, what I identify as is um, is a human being who was reaching out for support having escaped my my last my last and final abuser and coming across a lot of brick walls really and a lot of closed doors because of legal reasons and legislation and waiting lists and um, and being unable to cope with daily life and the struggles and the traumas that had been inflicted upon me and so what I then went on to do is try and figure my way through it I I had a an epiphany really that no one was coming no one was coming to save me there wasn't going to be a Disney moment with a dude in tights that no what you know my the people that I did have in my life left after the flying monkeys and the isolation triangulation um have their own lives and their own children and they can't they couldn't drop everything to fix me and the only person that could do it with was me and then basically going out and exploring on Google because where else do you go you know um and trying to find ways to heal and ways to cope initially with my symptoms which were panic attacks and you know lots of different nightmares and night terrors and flashbacks and um just really really hard to cope with physical physical symptoms after Mm -hmm. after lots of trauma 
and the the very real obstacles it was the discovery I think of the obstacles that I faced and my determination to get through them in order to be able to parent effectively it wasn't necessarily about me healing in the beginning it was about me being able to support my children who would have been affected too and then and realizing actually that none of these a lot of none a, a huge and vast majority of the healing advice online or and the imagery and the the help out there was either ridiculously expensive when eight out of ten of us have been financially abused or it was it was surrounded in a sort of swamped with this imagery of perfection and you, you're faced with a situation where you're not not washing your house is an absolute shed you are on the floor floored physically by panic attacks you know and flashbacks mm. and things like that and yet you're you're seeing when you type in healing and well-being into into google and, and attempting to get out you type in panic attacks into google and and how to get over how to ground how to meditate how to do all this and there's these beautiful images of you know super skinny women meditating on mountaintops in the himalayas or at buddhist yeah. retreats spa days with fluffy robes and cucumbers on your eyes and just how can anybody that's in a position of of basically laying in a puddle of their own snot and tears relate to that mm-hmm. and, it, and it very much i think that's one of the reasons we've we've come together because it's very much the same that image of perfection that no real person can truly relate to and that's that's when i started sharing what i'd learned and that's when i put the four cornerstones together in a way that actually instead of pretending those obstacles aren't there let's use them as stepping stones to get to where we need to go let's that these obstacles are a real thing let's acknowledge it i'm not telling you that you'll feel better for going out and having a walk and smiling because yeah while there's some truth in that you've got to get out the door and we all know the mountain that's in the way of of that that small task seemingly small task to survivors and people with mental health issues so that's that's me that was a really long introduction wasn't it no it was brilliant and you know what I really love is the fact that I've talked to quite a few people that have overcome some really major traumas and hurdles through their life but it's then your willingness to share what you've learned to others that has such a big impact on other people I think that's you know so commendable and I really kind of admire the fact that you are out there sharing this message and I completely relate to what you're saying about the self-care because you know you're talking about basics here you're talking about getting back to basics and it is a million miles away from the images that we're we're, we're constantly fed on social media and advertising about you know self-care so we have got a lot to talk about today Um, I mean sharing kind of the backstory I guess is a great place to start to to get people to understand kind of what you've been through to get to where you are now you know where do you start with that I know so I I always start with and it seems kind of I think it seems a little bit backwards but I start with the the day that I called women's aid because I a lot of us um having had a lot of control taken away from us in our lives and it's not just survivors this is a lot of people Um, are very nervous about calling an outsider when it comes to mental health or personal issues doctors you know trying to enlist for NHS mental health support trying to reach out to a service that helps us like you know people that have thought about um you know trigger warning suicide but people that thought about ending their lives you know ringing Samaritans and there's there's a huge amount of I think British culture uh, norms around stiff upper lips and sweeping things under the carpet yeah and that's the reason I start where I do because my life began when I reached out for help and while I couldn't get professional mental health support women's aid 
were incredible. Women's Aid um, do a course, they provide a course called Freedom, and it's a 12 week course. And I will say this right now while I'm here, anybody that has been through any kind of um, in, intimate partner violence, domestic abuse in their life, you can, it can have happened six years ago, and you're eligible to go on the Freedom course for free, for free. Local Women's Aid, find the number, ring them, go along. Because what they do is they teach you about perpetrator behaviour, about why that happened, how it happened, um, and, it, and it teaches you essentially that it wasn't your fault. It, what you didn't do anything to bring this on mm. and this is what these sort of people um are and that's how they live you know it's yeah. and, and it's something that um i i sat there having been through my entire life feeling like i was i've been told um on various such i thought i'd had a good childhood i thought i'd had a privileged childhood because i'd been taken on holidays i had gone to a grammar school I'd ridden horses, I'd had hobbies, I had um, had friends and gone to parties and had a relative amount of freedom in that respect. Mm. And, I, and I thought that I had a, a strenuous relationship specifically with my dad and I, and I thought that my mum was a victim of him and that she needed help. That was the frame of my childhood in my mm. head. And then I went to Women's Aid and I knew, when I say victim, I just, I thought he was quite bossy with my mum. I thought he was quite controlling with my mum. Never, ever used the word abusive in my head. My head didn't go to that. It was, she always has to live under his rules. Mm. Um, and I went through life walking into relationships with very similar elk. And anyway, and then I went to Women's Aid after a particularly horrendous relationship with the, you know, the father of my, my two youngest children. And which the top perpetrator behaviours, Rachel. And I sat there and just for the first time in my life, realised that my dad was my first perpetrator mm. because every single character trait, it wasn't like 27 out of the 33 traits, it was every single one and every single incident mirrored my childhood experience. Mm. And it was a genuinely life-shattering moment for me. And that's why that's where this story starts because yeah. I could start with my childhood, but actually while I was living that childhood, I thought I was the problem. I was hysterical. I had mental health issues. I made mountains out of molehills. I was a liar and I remembered things wrong all the time. Mm. I was a troublemaker, Rachel, you know? Mm. And, I, and every decision I made was wrong. And I was super clumsy and literally couldn't get anything right. And I needed my parents to cook on me and make my life okay. Mm. Um, and actually, um, can I swear on your show? Of course you can, yeah. It was absolute bullshit, my friend. <laughs> so yeah. It was, it, was, um, it was such a mirage that was put over me to be able to control and manipulate me because I was the loud one in the family and I was the one that questioned my dad's narratives mm. and that's not okay. Mm. So long story short, that's where my story starts. And that's when I started journaling on the advice of the lady from Women's Aid. And I started to look at my childhood experiences in a different light. And the extent of the abuse and manipulation was quite, quite horrendous. Um, there were um, incidents. I've got an example that I, I, I talk about actually on my mm. workshop. And it's because the lady, the woman that was facilitating the Women's Aid course, told me about a time when a one of her survivors had been convinced by her perpetrator that an apple was the colour orange and an orange was the colour green by her partner. And they convinced her of that over a period of time at home. 
so well that when she went out in public, she would point at it and say, what colour is that? And she'd say, orange. Oh, and then he'd perpetuate the myth to all of his friends. Oh, she's a psycho. Well, I've got to deal with it at home. And, um, and I was doing some journaling and I was talking to a friend, actually. This was a couple of years ago. I was having a chat on the phone with a friend, a video call. And I was talking to them because this is what's happened as well. I talk about memories as, ch of a ch as a child, like a lot of people do. You talk about childhood memories. Yeah. Uh, and you, have, you share experiences. And I start talking about something that I thought was a normal memory and then suddenly find out that there was trauma in it. And it's constantly popping up in my life. It's like, surprise. Yeah. And, then, and in this case, I was talking to my friend and said, oh, I went to visit London once, actually, because she was talking about London with my, with my parents um, when I was a teenager. And a couple of weeks before I'd been, Rachel, to London, I was working at a, a local theme park on one of those shacks, you know, one pound, come and play the game. Yeah. And it was a basketball game. And this grown man, I was 16 years old, and this grown man had um, approached me in a romantic way, and I had 16-year-oldly told him to bog off, you know, mm. like really sharply because I was a young girl. And he paid a pound for a basketball, and he'd thrown it point blank at my nose and broke it. Oh, God. It, it exploded all over my face. He lost his temper threw it at me and he you know the security guard sorted it all out and everything um and I went home but obviously I had um, slightly black eyes and a bit of a, a swollen nose when I went to London and there were the word black there were there were by this point two weeks later there were just dark little yeah. dark but while I was there I saw this amazing street artist so you know when when you watch movies and there's some guy sitting sketching people and they sit and it looks super romantic when couples have it drawn and yeah you know sitting on the streets of London and so I paid my you know my hard-earned money from my little job as a teenager and um, to have my my face sketched by this guy and it was a huge huge piece of paper I thought oh this is exciting um, and my parents like wandering around in the area and stuff and came back and I think as a child as a young person a 16 year old I obviously had moved my face around while he was doing it because my nose was at a literal 45 degree angle so the whole sketch was pretty accurate of my face but my nose was like this and I was telling my friends this and then um, and I said about how upset I'd been and you know how, how he'd really captured my wonky nose so because mm. obviously I'd had my nose broken the week before and in my head at the time is that what my nose looks like not oh he's got it wrong because I've moved yeah. my head around I'm going oh my nose looks oh my gosh is that what my nose looked like and I got very upset and I threw the picture away when I got back to the hotel and when we all returned home we I mean I was being dramatic obviously my parents said I was being dramatic etc and we got back and they not only kept the picture, but they framed it in the front room. They kept oh. it in the front room. And I, when I say I was very upset by this painting, I mean, I was a 16-year-old girl with insecurities, yeah. as everyone has. Yeah, and Distraught. I hated it, hated mm. it. And they actually pointed it out to people when they came around, and I'd be like, oh, it shows my nose. And they told me that I needed to get over it, and my nose looked like that now, and that it, that was the way my face was, and what was my problem. And I basically over the course of the next few months and years, because it was up for a long time. I think it was still up when I went off to uni and then came back mm. again. It was up for years in the front, mm. in the living room. And it was a course, it was a source of humour for everyone and amusement when they came round, because people that were visiting didn't know the harm it was causing, of course. And I went through my life then, genuinely seeing in the mirror this, this 45 degree angle nose. And I had had my nose broken, so, you know, how wonky was it? And I was telling my friend this story, but saying, you know, and I know my nose, and I said to her, I know my nose is wonky, but it was really hurtful the way that they did that to me. Bearing in mind, I was 35 when I had this conversation, Rachel, and she went, what? She went, what? And I went, well, I know my nose is really wonky down my face, but da -da -da, and carried on talking. 
to know and obviously you know that I paint I like painting to heal it's one of my things yeah. it's a helpful thing and she said use your artist measuring thumb she said I've seen you measure things she said, go in the mirror right now and measure your face I went fine and I got in the mirror and at 35 years old I realized that my nose didn't look anything like what I had been persuaded it had been for my yeah. the coercive control and emotional abuse had persuaded my brain so convincingly that my face was different to what it actually was in the mirror yeah. I saw it every every time I looked. I didn't whinge about it or go on about it. It's just my nose looked wonky down my face. Mm. And I spent like the like the 20 more years of my life genuinely believing that that's what my face looked like. Have you had an opportunity just to express how you feel to your parents now? Yeah, I mean, I offered what I wanted after, after realising all of this. What I did was approach them for family counselling, family mm. therapy. Because I had told them lots of times, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm quite a verbal person. Right? Mm. <laughs> I had expressed an upset and a dislike for behaviours my entire life. It's not like I was this um, this shallow wallflower of a person that didn't didn't say anything when people mistreated me. I never knew what abusive patterns were. I wasn't given the tools to know. I thought I deserved it because I was easily convinced that it was my fault these things were happening. But I did resist at the beginning. And with my parents, I went to them. I went to my mum because at the time still seeing her as an ally. And I said, you know, I, I, my dad's a trigger for me. I'm, I'm having these awful things happen. This is this is really, really messing with my head. I really need to figure myself out right now. I'd like some space from him, but, you know, I'd really like to do family therapy so we can all talk about this stuff. And the reason I asked for family therapy is because every time I tried to talk to them about anything that they'd done or said that had impacted me, they gaslit me to persuading me that I was the problem. And having now been on the Freedom course, I understood that. Yeah. And I understood what they'd done is they were they were reframing the conversation and I wasn't going to get anywhere on my own without a medium um, yeah. you know, a person there to to sort of like hold the conversation steady. And I offered that for quite a long time. Um, you know, I mean, at the same time, I'd escaped my abuser, you know, a few months, a good few months before. There'd been an incident with the children, which um, this one I can talk about, where the children had been um, physically assaulted by my ex-partner. Mm. He's been cautioned for that, so I, that's something I can I can say. Yeah. And they came home with bruises and things, and 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 there was supervised contact going on. And then and then what at the end towards the end of doing the freedom course, there was another disclosure made by one of my children that meant that um, they didn't have any contact with that person anymore. And I was obviously at that point. Um, dealing with a lot I was dealing mm. with a lot of emotional fallout from yeah. the breakup from the from what what had happened with the kids yeah. um, from figuring out being a completely single parent with no respite I mean you know despite the fact that it's the right thing to do to stop contact when somebody's done something harmful to a child that in the in its turn meant that me as a as a as a person healing from a lot of trauma had no childcare. Yeah. I had no break you know none yeah. of that single mum stuff where you get a weekend off or a day off every now yeah. and then it's like oh and then unfortunately to uphold their narrative that I was the problem my parents decided to stay in contact with that person instead, oh, of, God. instead of supporting me and the kids um and they've supported that person um in trying trying to get contact because because it's easier isn't it to uphold the narrative that I'm the problem and not have to work with my new boundaries and my new strength than it is to just pretend that I'm, you know, I mean, I've been diagnosed with CPTSD, but they've convinced a lot of people and themselves that I've got schizophrenia and bipolar. I've got, you know, professional diagnosis. And that's, that's the narrative because yeah. my, my illness is caused by, by trauma. 
yeah, of course. can be caused by other things, but that can mm. still be that I'm the problem. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm an issue. Um, so how yeah. easy is it now to trust people after all that? Because you've been betrayed so much in life. How easy yeah. is it to then go and, and trust? And you are so open. I um, mean, that's what I love about you, but it's... I, do you know what I realised, the key to this, I realised this about a year and a half ago. And I ask, I often ask survivors, what's your biggest obstacle to healing? And they say, trust. And I say, who do you need to trust? And they say, the people around me. And I say, no. And the reason that I say no is because actually the key to this is being able to trust yourself. Mm. Because I didn't have, I was brought up without any of the tools to spot toxicity, abusive behavior, to spot when somebody had bad intentions towards me. And I gave and gave and gave to people that really didn't deserve it. I never got anything back in return or when I did get back something back it was conditional mm. there's so much, so much going on my toolkit to select the people around me was terrible mm. and what I say to my survivors and to anyone out there listening is that the person you need to trust most is you you need to absolutely know and understand and hear your instincts I had, I had a lot of situations as a young person and a child Rachel where my you know, when the hairs go back on, up on your necks and you get that uncomfortable feeling and you're not happy about a situation that's happening yeah. to you or around you. And you say, I'm not happy about this. And people go, don't be silly. So you go, oh. And I learned to shut up my instincts. Mm. And I don't need to know who to trust. I need to trust what my body and my brain and my heart tells me when I'm interacting yeah. with other people. And if I'm feeling happy, that means I can trust. And I, I only, you know, I only give out information that doesn't harm me I only share what doesn't harm me I I only talk about these things because I absolutely know that there's someone else sitting there in the dark the dark hole that I I had to exist in for a long time on my own who hearing these words might go oh there's a way out and follow that light and get to their path and that's that's why I'm here because I can't I can't live knowing that there is there are so many of us on two-year waiting lists you know for mental health yeah. support and th- for me I was on a two-year wait- waiting list Rachel well actually sorry that's not quite true I was on an 11-month waiting list and then when I finally did get my assessment and I had my four assessments with a psychologist and everything else uh, and I got diagnosed and escalated to level four psychiatric requirements on the same day I was discharged and the reason I was discharged was because by that time there was a police investigation going on around us and in the UK, if you're a witness to a police investigation around assault and abuse, counselling isn't allowed till after, it's not advised till after the court situation because your witness testimony is classed as coached by a defence lawyer and gets thrown out. So I then had to wait even longer. And that's not just me. That's the thing. It's, there's so many out there. And if anyone's in that position, I want you to know there is a way to manage those symptoms at home without it being classed as coached and without it being held against you. Because you just feel unsafe to reach out to anyone because it's all recorded. And oh, if I say this, then they'll think I'm crazy and then I'll lose yeah. my kids. And if I say this, I, I no one will believe me in court when I stand up against them. And it's what you're experiencing is perfectly natural and normal. And it's, it is a human response to the things that have happened to you. And yeah. you're okay. And you can be okay again, you know? Yeah. And I think there's so much power in, in as a victim, <laughs> being able to speak out about that and share that because because you 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 don't get the support that that you that you need at that at the time that you need it so therefore you then have to go and search for it yourself and where yeah. do you where do you even start with that where did you start with your own kind of journey back to i i started by ringing some ringing a friend 
when I thought I was having an actual heart attack. I thought I was dying. I mean, I'm, I am slightly lucky. I had a little bit of luck in that I had my first ever panic attack at the doctor's surgery. And the reason for that is because it wasn't long after a certain situation that I had with the kids. Um, and basically, I went for my smear test. And in that doctor's surgery, there was something about the um, the curtains and the, the ceiling tiles and everything else that just gave, it gave me a huge flashback and a bit of a trigger. Mm. And I ended up fetus under the doctor's bed. I was like full on, like hiding under it. And I had to, um, it took them a while to get me out of there. You know, I was mm. a full on hedgehog. <laughs> um, and so the, the nurse actually said, I think you're having an anxiety attack. Because I said, I'm dying. I can't mm. breathe. You know, I, mm. I, couldn't, I, I couldn't, the pain and the overwhelming because it's a transference of emotional pain, isn't it? A panic yeah. attack. It's a transfer. It's, it's yes, it's that perceived risk that your brain does the base responses, but in real real terms, it's a transference of emotional pain into physical pain to make you pay attention to it. Yeah. And good God, does it hurt? Mm. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um. So because she'd said that, at least I had a word to look up. So when I started having more and more of them, I was able to Google anxiety attack, and then. Mm read that and think that's not quite right what and it, you know panic attack came up near it so I was like oh what's that and I am um much like um can you remember the film short circuit I'm yeah. a lot like Johnny Five I'm alive I'm like more input and I do like to wrap my head around something fully if I'm interested I don't read one book I read a hundred books you know mm. it, knowledge is power Claire <laughs> yes absolutely knowledge is power 100 percent because because as well I've been to this freedom course and understanding perpetrator behavior and my codependency and emotional needs and everything else and my lack of <laughs> lack of tools um that had um given me something because it gave me this thing where I understood that and it helped me cope with it better hmm. so I think without realizing it I knew that I needed to fully understand what was going on in here mm -hmm. in order to do anything with it like what is it first? Yeah. what is a panic attack yeah. and that's where I started and literally and it wasn't then from then it was a very organic process because it was a what's the next thing to google and it was the next link that was there to click and the next you know reading and reading and reading and then writing down in my journal if I found something useful I'm going to try this and I did try lots and lots of different things that didn't work and this is why I call my project the clear path project because the when you're in the dark you will have a stab at anything to get out of it's, it's like being stuck in a marshland or a big jungle and you're trying to chop down because you can't see where you're going you have no mm. clue and and that's why it's the clear path project because i've this has been piloted now with hundreds and hundreds of survivors um it's not it's not a reinvention of the wheel it's it's not new and revolutionary it's the same stuff but made accessible to survivors with their mental health issues it's made um achievable and realistic and not ridiculous you know it's not yeah. a go and do this massive project go and go for a spa day or all this there's a whole running joke isn't there is it mum's net or net mums mum's net joke, yeah where they yeah. make a joke now about go for a spa day you know because somebody's coming with this huge massive life problem and it's like go for a spa day. stop it nobody yeah. should ever suggest a spa day to anyone ever again unless it's just for fun That's yeah it. yeah stop it <laughs> yeah it doesn't fix anything no um so yeah, 
sorry to all the spas out there that are trying to sell spa days but that's, <laughs> that's not great they're absolutely fantastic and you know if it's an option yes fantastic but it isn't a healing tool no. in any way whatsoever that doesn't help the woman that can't physically move and get out of bed in the morning no. because she doesn't want to face the day yeah, I, I go to a spa and swimming when I haven't showered in three weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I haven't shaved my vagina area for like okay. 14 months. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, so it's all that, isn't it? You know, it's just, um, oh, they, there are so many obstacles that people haven't thought of. And I think the cost is the unique combination of the fact that I, I went to a school that taught me to dig deeper. And and I, you know, I went to a grammar school and was taught to investigate things and really research things. Then I went to uni and learned the same. Mm. Then I went through a series of um I was just about to say a series of unfortunate events let me stick it and I, <laughs> but I did I went to this this life that felt uncontrollable and 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 found and finally eventually found what things work for me um and and just thought well if it works for me that's you know it's not special it doesn't mean it worked for anyone else but just happening to share it when I was in support groups or with other survivors and saying oh you know, this thing's really good. And then coming back and going, oh my God, that thing changed my life. You know, mm. you didn't explain it in that way. Yeah. I'd never wanted to try it before. I'd never wanted to try meditation because it's, ooh, very it's woo-woo. Yeah. And all that. And and um, and I realised suddenly that I had something unique to bring to the table. And that's that's where Chamberlain Expressions was born and the, the Four Cornerstones. So how do you, you know, how do you feel now about getting your message out there? Are you, have you kind of stepped into this new role because it is a new role for you to be kind of become this, this almost you're reinventing yourself in a really positive way and putting all that harrowing experience to some, to something positive. How does that feel now? Is it empowering? Is it scary? All of that. It's, um, do you know what? It's, I've, a lot of survivors a lot of victims do that and we all say I said it I want to get back to being me and you're right though I have reinvented myself because the me that existed before all of this was the me that that lived in it and allowed it it's not my there's no fault or victim blaming here because abusers cause abuse rapists cause rape Mm. there's nothing that I did that caused my abuse but there are definitely ways of thinking and living that can protect me from it in the future Mm. And my new me, my new me, my Claire 2.0 is a whole, it's, I've got all the best bits of the previous me and none of the, none of the self-sabotaging, self-harming, damaging stuff. And it is just this whole new being of, um, and it, what I'm doing now and seeing the results for other survivors and the project and the conference later this year and everything else. Um, do you know what I'm super proud is what I am mm. I am really really proud of myself and I used to cringe thinking about saying that I used to cringe hearing people go on about how how well they've done and stuff because I used to think they were being arrogant but I am not arrogant I am honoring the fact that I've I've dragged my ass through yeah. what has been a a harrowing long experience and I have turned the poison that was poured into me into wine and now yeah. drinking it so it was poured into me my whole life and I took it and at first it did it rotted me to my core. Mm. it was it nearly killed me it did nearly kill me and then I found a way to distill it in a different way and yeah. now here I am drunk as a fart all day on the <laughs> wine that was their poison <laughs> yeah and you know 
thank God you are. Thank, thank God you have turned it around and now you can go and have an impact on other people and, and so yeah. that they can be the same and create this ripple effect because we need yeah. people like you to share this and to talk about it openly because, you know, we don't talk about it enough and support women enough. And just by sharing your story, somebody might be listening that is going through something similar and, you know, that that has an impact on somebody. So I think it's amazing that you're out there doing it. So tell me about the conference because that's exciting. So that's something that's coming up soon, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so the conference, I am holding the Clear Path Conference UK 2021 um, in September, on September the 30th this year. So last year, as we all know, there was a pandemic on, still is, you know, just in case anyone's missed it, I'll just point that out. And, <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of awareness and amazing empowering events that normally go on of every year have just disappeared because they had to, lots mm. of things, not just these. And the thing is, it was at a time when, um, especially domestic abuse and um, abuse towards children in the home, because they're, they're in homes being abused as well, actually escalated extremely because the people that were perpetrating were stuck at home with them. Yeah. So the government and the news and everyone was telling us that all of this stuff had escalated and there was a bigger need. And at the same time, the events and the organisations that um, raise awareness and help these situations were having to shrink. Yeah. And then at the same time, the government decided to take away £138 million worth of funding in October. Yeah. So I went, no, um, no. And then I wasn't happy with it when I discovered that in October. And then it wasn't until February this year that I had this idea. And I thought there needs to be a new event. Wouldn't it be incredible if there was an event that was the story of survivorship from childhood? Because there is a big link between childhood emotional trauma and adult domestic abuse survivors and victims. There, there is definite scientific evidence to say that is a path that is almost unavoidable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I wanted was to have a story of through the voices of various different incredible survivors who have now gone on to really live their dreams and live an amazing empowered life to talk about from, from childhood all the way through to being love bombed and encapsulated and tricked by an abuser to living with one, safe escape plans, Asian taboos in the Asian community, um, reporting with the police, yeah. uh, mental health support. And I wanted the whole process, the whole process to be put into one event through the different voices of survivors. And that's what it is. I ha- we have um, the incredible Caroline Strawson from the You Are Enough Foundation um, headlining. And we have, you know, Sam Billingham from DAS and and and, and you know, it's the domestic abuse support service. Yeah. We have Natalie Page from the Court Said, which is the the Court Said is a incredible group that's a, it's a charity that supports women through family court against abusers because that situation is something that nobody's talking about and it needs some yeah. shiny light on it. We've got a woman called Charissa Cook, who's an amazing influencer on TikTok and Instagram, talking about her. She found her faith through healing, you know, and mm. she found. But she also found a lot wrong with people with faith and the organisations around it and the abuse mm-hmm. that happened there. And for everyone speaking now, having been through all of these these um, these stories of of um, like I say, being poured poison into them, let's let's call it that. Um, they are now CEOs and founders and qualified yeah. psychologists and successful um, publisher publishing house owners and all of that. And we've even got um, songwriters that have been um, working really hard to put some songs together for the conference, some of, some of which are based on my poems. 
It's amazing. And it's going to be an event to educate, inspire and empower. Um, Fabulous. A lot of different kinds of people, including MPs and judges. Wow. Along. And it'll be um, end of June. Tickets will be going on sale. So So how can people find you, Claire? What's your website address? It is clearpathconference.org. And there you can find all the information about the raffle prizes that are available when you buy a ticket. And, and the other thing is we're making sure that the ticket prices are super reasonable because, yes, a full day event, we can charge 150 quid, but that excludes survivors. So we're making mm. sure that survivors are included in this and can attend and take advantage of all the incredible resources on the day. So clearpathconference.org. Well, you're a powerhouse, Claire. You really are. And, you know, look at you go now. I, I can... Yeah. I can see how you are going to have such an impact, you know, from now on in such a positive way. And I hope that that continues part of your healing journey through this as well, because I'm guessing it's never ending, is it? It's not just going to stop. You're always going to be working on it. I'm definitely not pretending to be the Messiah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not magically fixed, but the, the the cornerstones that I work with and and the things that I share and the, the awareness that I bring, it's supposed to make, just make it easier. There, yeah. you should, we should, nobody should be alone in the dark feeling like they're the only one and that they're lost and there's no way out. No one. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the reasons. I'm, I'm actually in talks with the therapy group at the minute to try and get um, the Four Cornerstones, the Clear Path Project, um, into a PDF so that it can be sent out to people on the waiting list. For mental oh, health. that'd be a really good yeah. resource. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and all that. So, yeah, there's so much to it. So yeah. much to it. I could go on all day. I could. I'll <laughs> keep doing it. How can people find you on social media, Claire, to follow you? I'm under Claire Louise Chamberlain. I'm the only one, as far as I can tell, right. on social media. So, yeah, Claire Louise Chamberlain on Facebook. I'm on Insta. I'm on TikTok, sharing my, my one minute wisdoms. Um, and um, I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well, obviously, for my, the business side of things. Um, I'm not on Twitter at the minute because I just. I, just, I don't want to repeat what I'm saying. I don't want to use the same stuff on it. I try and vary up what I'm doing and I only have a finite amount of time. So not yeah. on Twitter right now, but I'd, yeah. I'd probably need to be. But yeah, um, if anybody would like to um, come and find me, I'm at Chamberlain Expressions or Claire Louise Chamberlain. And- Thank you so much. I could chat to you for so much longer, but uh, you know, it's been fantastic to talk to you and keep doing what you're doing. And I just wish you all the very best for the future. And thank you so much for your honesty and your openness, um, because I really think you're making such a big impact and, and I know you will continue to do so. My last question that I ask all my guests, Claire, because I really want to encourage women to be kinder to themselves. So if you were to pay yourself a compliment, what would it be? It would be that I am powerful love it yes you are <laughs> well I'm sending you lots of love but absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you so much Rachel for having me on and giving me the opportunity to help to help get the word out there I'm like I can't thank you enough I'm incredibly grateful and I'm incredibly grateful to know you as well yes um, lovely to connect really am. Yeah. yeah thank you Brilliant. so much pleasure thank you take care well, I can't thank Claire enough for sharing some of her story and you know the fact that she's she's healing and she's overcoming such traumas uh, but also going on to help other people is so inspiring and I know that she's going to create such a big impact on people that need it so I hope if somebody is listening out there that they can reach out and ask for help and, and, and find a friend or if not you know go and contact Claire because I know she's got so many great resources that she'll be able to help you so thank you Claire for such honesty this is why I love doing the podcast and sharing all these inspiring women because there's so many of us out there doing amazing things so um, I'll be back next week with another dose of inspiration
Thank you for listening to Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope you found lots of inspiration and it's left you with some midlife food for thought. How would you compliment yourself? I'd love to hear from you so I can share some love for all you women over 40. Please get in touch. Email me, rachel at outofthebubblepodcast.com. You can also come and join the Facebook page at Step Out of the Bubble. I'll be back next Monday, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous. <laughs>